And then she says, has anyone ever told you that you squint when you lie? And he says, no, but only because no one has spent as much time looking at me as you do, Winnow. <laughs> Hello, you're listening to Worth the Read podcast. My name is Sarah. And I'm Shannon. We're sisters who love to read. So whether you're a hopeless romantic or fantasy fanatic, you've come to the right place. We retell and review clean stories filled with high stakes, swooning moments, mysteries, plot twists, and oh, so much drama. But in the end, we only have one question to answer. Is this book worth the read? Listen to find out and don't forget to subscribe. I feel like I've been hit by a bus. I know this. I gave you an out. I just, I don't know if you know this about me, Shannon, but I'm an emotional reader. Like, I really just... No, I think you just can't handle sad stories. Because <laughs> you will never watch any sad movies it's or true. anything like that. I don't watch and the news. And this one book happens to be really sad, so you you don't like it. Or you're just really heavily affected. <laughs> okay, so the book we're talking about is not the one we're actually doing today for the podcast, but I'm reading A Thousand Boy Kisses. And just don't read it. Right, Tilly Cole. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's really good, but it's just awful. So, unless you want to sob, just sob, (laughs) you can read it. It's a great book for you if you really just want to rip your heart out and just cry (laughs) all night. Because literally, I was up at one in the morning crying my eyeballs out. My shirt was soaking wet. I'm not even kidding. And then I was like, I need to stop. I need to stop. So, I stopped at one in the morning. And then I couldn't sleep. And then I just kept crying until like three. <laughs> that is so sad and pathetic. I know, like that. I know. What is wrong with me? I just I applied it too much because then once I read it, I mean the story itself is like a lot, and then I just thought about my own life. I'm like, well, what if this happened to me? And okay. then I just was just right. a wreck. I'm I know. supposed to be reading it for the pod or the book club, and I don't know if I can do it. I know. I'm okay. If my book club club ladies, if you're listening to this. How dare you? How dare you do this to me? I know. All of them texting. I know. <laughs> group chat and they're like, I sobbed through 85% of this. I'm like, what? <laughs> I just, I can't stop crying. Shannon, I'm, there's like almost no pages where I'm not crying. I don't. I, I can't even like fathom what happens in this book that <sighs> makes all of you cry so much. You got to read it. You got to read it. And I, can, I don't want to say anything. And you're not a crier either. I know. So I know. I'm very concerned when I read it. <laughs> I know. I'm like so scared. You, <laughs> you better, have no idea. You better text me and just tell. You'll can be you like, imagine? I get it. Once you get, once you get into it more, you'll be like, okay. And you can just be sobbing like, I'm crying now. I get it. No, I, no, no. I just. Can you imagine if I like just don't cry at all? Oh, Actually, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine you just not ever. <laughs> you just being like, I don't know what's wrong with you, weak I like people. You guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if I would want to do that for the podcast because I'm just. Do you know what I was just thinking? What? So the cover for Divine Rivals, which is the one we're doing for this episode. Yeah, I just. I don't think it's very cute. I don't think so either. Some people, I hate it. <laughs> some people really like it. I don't know why. There's like almost like peacock feathers on it. And why are there two huge circles around the D and the R? Uh, well, Divine Rivals. What, are you kidding me? Those are typewriter buttons. Oh, see, I didn't get that. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I don't like it. Some people really like it, but I personally don't like the cover. Okay, but they have... I don't know where to get it, but I've seen an alternate 
cover for it. And it's so cute. Really? Does it have people on it? Yes. And it's like an illustration. And it's just like her profile. She's holding up a letter. And then he's like upside down and he's like holding the same letter. It, I, oh, it interesting. It sounds funky. Interesting. But it's good. I, I, as we, I don't know. I love this story so much. The D- Divine Rivals. I do have to preface this saying I was on my period when I was reading it. So I was emotional then as well. Oh my gosh, Shannon, I didn't do a, a, a review sheet. Sarah. I know. I didn't even think about it until oh. the second. Okay, hold on. I have one that we used last Okay. All right, this is episode 22. But anyway, so this is Divine Rivals is fantasy. It takes place kind of in I mean, it's not it's not real, but it's the style of 40s, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. So the style of it is taking place then, but there is some magic involved. The trope is for sure enemies to lovers. Love it. Yeah. There's is there language in it? Honestly, I can't remember. I don't think so. Gosh, dang, I don't know. If there's language, there might be, there might be two, two heart or three hearts there. Cheesiness. I don't think it was cheesy. What would you say? I'd say like a two out of three. I think the ending gets a little bit cheesy. Okay. For the relationship, not the story itself. Okay. Okay. Spiciness. This does have a. Fade to black. It's well, like. No, not really. It's not fade oh. to black because, but it's very, very vague. Like when I it's was abstract, it's very abstract. When I was reading it, I was like, I didn't even understand what was. Happening. I know. I was like, oh, is this? Wait, are they? Are they doing it right now? Yeah. What's and uh, yeah? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I guess they are. All right. <laughs> it was very vague. So I think yeah. for that reason, I, I would give it just maybe a one yeah, because I'd it's give it a one. It's, Literally nothing else happens, and it's not descriptive at all or anything like that. So yeah. recommended age? What would you say? Sixteen. Yeah. Okay. Trigger warnings. There is. I mean, there's war happening, yeah. so that could be a trigger. There's death. There's death. Um, of a parent. Yep, and grief. So there's that. You can buy this on Amazon. Is it limited? It is available on Kindle Limited. Point of view. It's a dual point of view. The epilogue is in another person's point of view. I guess alcohol abuse is in here as well. That's another trigger. The book's a huge cliffhanger. Huge. Yeah. <laughs> Huge cliffhanger. I think that went over the basics. Let me read the back of the book so we can get started and move on to the spoiler section. When two young rival journalists find love through magical connection, they must face the depths of hell in a war among gods to seal their fate forever. After centuries of sleep, the gods are warring again. The 18-year-old Iris Winnow just wants to hold her family together. Her mother is suffering from addiction and her brother is missing from the front lines. Her best bet is to win the columnist promotion at the Oath Gazette. To combat her worries, Iris writes letters to her brother and slips them beneath her wardrobe door where they vanish into the hands of Roman Kit, her cold and handsome rival at the paper. When he anonymously writes Iris back, the two of them forge a connection that will follow Iris all the way to the front lines of battle for her brother, the fate of mankind, and love. Ooh. So, Divine Rivals by Rebecca Ross. We're going to go now into the spoiler section. This is third person. I did not... (laughs) <laughs> like it until I got into okay, it. Once on. I got into it, I was fine. This is third person point of view, but it is multiple point of view. So dual point of view, third person. The epilogue is in someone else's point of view. But wow. yeah, for third person, I do not like third person personally. No, I don't But either. this one I think is the best third person writing that I've 
ever read. Yeah. Like, I I, I, I loved it so much. I thought it was so good. It almost felt like first person. It was so interesting. Yeah, it's really weird how that happened. Yeah, like, amazing job. This Rebecca Ross, uh, fantastic. All right, so we start in the prologue. Iris Winnow is saying goodbye to her brother, Forrest, who was leaving to fight a war for the goddess. And... He, in this conversation, she's dropping him off at, like, the train station. In this conversation, we asked Iris to make two promises to him. One, to take care of mom and to stay in school. And he also calls her Little Flower and asks her to write him. He's always called her Little Flower because when she was younger, people made up fun of her name, Iris. And they was, you know, make talk about how it's, like, her eye or whatever. And he came up with Little Flower, like the flower Iris. So it's really sweet. But he asked her to write him. So, of course, she diligently does. Five months later in chapter one is when we start with her going to work and she arrives late with a broken shoe. She arrives at the Oath Gazette and she sees her office enemy, Roman Kit, at the assignment board. And the assignment board is where they go to get their next assignment to write for the column. They're both competing for the columnist the position. The columnist, yeah. The lead columnist at the newspaper, Oath Gazette, and they hope to take that position. What? <laughs> hopes to take it. <laughs> and so she gets there and she's late and he's, of course, being all cheeky with her. She talks about how Roman is very tall, sharp cheekbones, and he's also very wealthy. He takes the assignment because he's there always on time. Pristine, always looking fantastic. Very, like, polished shoes. His suit's never wrinkled and things like that. He acts very smug and obviously knows that she's a competition. And they kind of pit against each other throughout the story at the beginning, especially. Okay, I'm going to read this quote to kind of give you a sneak peek into kind of what the conversation is like and how they banter with each other. He says, you're going to write your own article about missing soldiers, even though you don't have the full information on the assignment. And she says, and that worries you, Kit? No, of course not. And then (laughs) she says, has anyone ever told you that you squint when you lie? And he says, no, but only because no one has spent as much time looking at me as you do, Winnow. (laughs) Then this says, she did the only thing she could. She leaned back into her chair and granted Roman a brilliant smile, one that reached her eyes, crinkling the corners. His expression darkened instantly, just as she expected. He hated it when she smiled like this at him. It always made him retreat. (laughs) So they're playing this game, and I just love how they just are teasing each other. So she writes obituaries, and... Roman knows she's dropped out of school. Oh, I guess that's one thing I need to say is she eventually had to drop out of school because her mom became an alcoholic. They needed money. Her mom wasn't taking a job. So she had to drop out of school. And I should say this too. They're very poor. You kind of get a glimpse into their house, which is like very bare. And, you know, her mom's spending almost all their money just drinking, which is really sad. So the first time Iris read Roman's work, she was transfixed by... The whole thing. She said it was like amazing writing. And at the bottom of this article, it says Roman C. Kit. And so every time she mentions his name in her mind, she comes up with a middle name that starts with C. Because she doesn't know what the middle name is, but she comes up with a different name. So it'll be like Roman Cheeky Kit or Roman Churlish Kit or Roman Cantankerous Kit. So she just always comes up with these little things. Mm -hmm. Zeb is their boss, Zeb Autry. And over the past few months... He's been keeping track of who's getting the column for that week for the assignment on the assignment board. And Kit has 11 and she has, Winnow is her last name. Winnow has 10. And she's, oh, I've written to she's 18 and obviously she lives with her mom. But so as of right now, they're, they're neck and neck. 
Kit has one more than she does. So she's trying to get there on time and she's trying to write these articles so that she can get them published and hopefully win the position as the columnist. And she's getting ready for the day writing. She's thinking about the war. There's a war that's currently happening and how it started. And Dacre, is that how you say it? It's D-A-C-R-E. Dacre? Anyways, Dacre is how it says online. So we'll say just Dacre, I guess. He's the underling god, and he woke up and searched for his sworn enemy, Enva, who's the skyward goddess. So she's writing about, she's just kind of brainstorming, and she's writing about this war and how it started. She's thinking about Dacre and Enva, and Autry, her boss, comes over, and she asks him, has the chancellor given you restrictions? Restrictions, he says, on what? On what you can and cannot feature in this paper. And he says don't waste my paper and ink ribbons on war that is never going to reach us here in oath it's a western problem and we should carry on as normal find something good to write about and i might consider publishing it in the column next week so she's kind of just kind of wondering about who's really influencing this war who's involved and kind of curious about the whole thing so at the end of the day they're, the last people at work are her and Roman, and she asks him if he wants to get a sandwich because in her mind she's thinking of something that her brother has said is to keep, like, to, friend, to befriend your enemies kind of thing. And so she asks him to get a sandwich, and he says, no, sorry, I can't. So she goes to the store, and it's, she goes shopping, and it's interesting because the food on the shelves, because there is magic in this world, the food on the shelves rearrange themselves to show you what you can afford. And so all the, like... You know how useful that would be? I know. It's like, I wouldn't spend nearly as much money yeah. if I could just get the things like, that... You're like, oh, you only want to spend this much? This is what you can buy. Right. Oh, that'd be great. Nice. I'd love an app for that. <laughs> oh, my gosh, right. So anyways, that's a little glimpse into kind of the kind of magic that's a little bit involved. Magic isn't heavy in the story, really. I mean, there's mythical gods and goddesses that are involved. Not mythical to them, but us as readers, I guess. But... So she's out shopping and she sees a ink-ridden Tribune. Is it how you say Tribune? Tribune. Yeah. They're the rivals of a newspaper. And in their newspaper, they posted an article about what's happening on the front lines. And the heading of the article says, Monsters sighted 30 kilometers from the war front. The headline announced a smudge type. Beneath it was an illustration of a creature with large membranous wings, two spindly legs hooked with talons, and a horde of sharp needle-like teeth. So they're covering a lot of stuff that her newspaper, the Gazette, doesn't want to talk about or, or believes isn't really real, you know. It's not going to affect them. Isn't going to affect them. Which is like the craziest thinking right especially for a newspaper you would want to get that kind of stuff because that would make more sales country yeah and it's not that far from them (laughs) so anyways so the incarnated tribune is writing about this stuff and she comes home and her mom is drunk as usual and the radio has been sold because she wants to buy more alcohol she goes to her room she has her grandmother's typewriter and she calls her grandma nan in this story and she has been writing her brother ever since he left she's been writing her brother with his typewriter and what she's done is something that her grandmother would used to do to her when she was alive. And they would always write letters to each other. And her grandma would slip the letters under her door, put it under her pillow, and all those things. So she made it a habit of just slipping it underneath her wardrobe. And when she did that, it disappeared. And so she's like, okay, maybe they're getting to him. But she's never gotten a response from Forrest, her brother. And so she's kind of... it's eating at her you know she's like is he okay is he alive is he getting these letters where are these letters going so she has all these questions 
And one of the, this is just a snippet of what she writes to her brother, a very heart wrenching letter that she writes to her brother. Can I just pause really quick and say the writing, the writing in this is so beautiful, Mm -hmm. so poetic. I cried when I read this at the beginning, a couple of, oh, well, a couple of times. And it, I think the writing just captivated me so well throughout the entire thing. It was just beautiful. I'd be like, just. Tears would be flying from my face. Anyways, <laughs> I did not. You did not because you have no soul. But, okay. um, no, it's just so, it's just beautiful writing. So let me yeah. share a little clip of that, of what she is writing to her brother. She says, I wonder if fighting for Enva is everything you thought it would be. I wonder if a bullet or a bayonet has, th- has torn through you, if a monster has wounded you. I wonder if you're lying in an unmarked grave covered in blood-soaked earth that I will never be able to kneel at, no matter how desperate my soul is to find you. I hate you for leaving me like this. I hate you and I love you even more because you are brave and full of light that I don't think I will ever find or understand. The call to fight for something so fervently that death holds no sting over you. Sometimes I can't draw a full breath. Between my worry and my fear, my lungs are small because I don't know where you are. Uh, and it keeps going. It's so beautiful. Anyways. Yeah, especially in the letters, she really just the, lets it rip. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Like, chills. I would be reading and get t- chills. And I do highlight another p- part that just, like, gutted me I know. so good. I, this book isn't my favorite. I liked it, but it's not my favorite. And even I was like, man, that's written so well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's just amazing. One thing I should note here on her typewriter, on the bottom, it's like, marked and it says the third alouette 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 is how i say it in my mind a-l-o-u-e-t-t-e and it says made especially for d-e-w and it's her grandmother daisy elizabeth winnow so she knows this is her grandmother's typewriter she gave it to her and anyways that's what she's been using to write she's almost asleep when she hears a paper flutter in her room and she sits up and a note has appeared underneath the wardrobe someone has written her back so she gets excited and she's Thinking it's finally from her brother, but when she opens it, it says, this isn't Forrest. And wow. I gasped when I read that. It was wow. the end of a chapter. And I was like, oh my gosh, who is it? So then, then we go into Roman's point of view. And it's Roman. Mm-hmm. Roman, all of this time for these months of her writing her brother, has been he's the one who has been getting these letters. <laughs> and he's been reading them. And he knew at the beginning, he's like, this is her. I know her writing. He studies her writing so much because he knows she's really good. And he, she's her competition. And so at first he thought it was a joke. He's like, she's just trying to get under my skin. But then as he kept reading them, he's like, oh, no. Like, this she's really vulnerable in these, these letters. These are not. And so he just he kind of slowly opens up and like reads these letters and he doesn't tell her that he's been getting these letters. So he finally, after this big letter that she just sent was so gut wrenching, he's like, I just got to tell her. So all he says is this isn't Forrest. They have this conversation and she's like, wow, you just take a habit of reading people's private letters. And he's like, well, I can't help it that these letters just appear on my floor. And she goes, well, I apologize to your floor and I hope you got a good laugh. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, no, I thoroughly enjoy your letters. And she goes, well, can I have them back? And he's like, sorry, I can't give them back to you. And then she says, I'm sorry, and I won't bother you anymore. And he says, well, you don't have to stop on my account. I'll gladly read whatever you write. Oh. So he wants to keep getting the letters from Iris. <laughs> the next day at work, the Ink Ridden Tribune has put out a notice 
looking for war correspondence. And as she's looking at this article, she's like, man, that's double what I'd get paid now. They want people to go to the front lines and write about what's happening, which like a good newspaper would do, I feel like, to keep people up to date. So that day has passed and she's kind of done her job. And at the end of the day, Roman comes up up to her and he says, there you are. And she says, what do you want, Kit? And he says, are you hurt? She says, I'm sorry. And he says, you've been limping all day. And she says, no, I'm fine. What do you want? So he just, he pays attention to her. And she just takes it as though he's bothering her intentionally because they're rivals. And then as he's walking, kind of walking with her as they're leaving work, Roman accuses her of getting a open assignment from Autry, like being able to write about whatever she wants. And so this starts an argument and she's like, I'm not doing it due to any special favors. And and he says, oh, isn't it? And she goes, what is that supposed to mean? And he goes, it's exactly as it sounds. And he pretty much says that Autry, their boss, pities her. And she goes, oh, is it because I'm poor? And he says, no, it's because you're late, you, you miss assignments, and you're getting sloppy. So she's mad, pissed, and she goes home. And her mom has made dinner, and she's actually dressed, still kind of buzzed and stuff. I was so suspicious when this happened. I, I was like, mm, yeah, what's going on? Don't trust it. I know. And so she's like just trying to like go back. She's trying to like enjoy what life used to be with her mom. And her mom's trying a little bit. She goes, I'm trying really hard. We're going to make this. I'm going to be better. I promise. And then she asks her mom, can you help me do my hair? Her mom says, just wondering why you want me to curl your hair. And she says, it's for me. I'm sick of looking like a slob. And her mom says, I never thought of you as a slob, Iris. Not once. Did a boy say that to you? And she's, Iris sighs. And she says, perhaps. He's my competition. We both want the same p- position. And she says, let me guess. He's young, handsome, suave, and knows you write better than him, than him. So he's doing all he can to distract you and worry you. And she laughs. How did you know that, mom? And she says, mothers know everything, sweetheart. And she says, and I'm casting my bet on you. I just think it's a little funky. How it was, like, she's this alcoholic and she, like, kind of doesn't really care about Iris when she's in that state. Yeah. Because Orton doesn't really care about her. It seems like it because then she willingly goes and does all of that, Mm -hmm. you know? But then all of a sudden, she's written, like, the perfect mother. I thought that was kind of weird. I think she just had a moment of, like, coming to where she was more present. I know, but I was like, even if she was, like, present and stuff her alcoholism would still affect her, you know? I just, like, it was suspicious that she was written so perfectly that way. Well, do you think it was because of what happens next? Like, she, you know, because sometimes before, because okay. we... Yeah, get to the next part okay. and we talk about it. Okay, so Roman gets home and he's get call- he gets called to dinner and finds out that he has been betrothed to Miss Eleanor. So they're wealthy and this is what they do, you know. Um, Arranged marriage. <laughs> father, his father is very controlling and he says, get dressed and come back down and join us for dinner because Miss Eleanor, they're there. Yeah. And so he's in his room and he tells himself, he's worried about Iris and he like tells himself, stop thinking about her. He's constantly thinking about her. So I love it in his point of view. You can see that he was always thinking about Iris yeah. and he's trying to get like focused and dressed. And he's like, he also saw that she was limping. So he's worried about why, why she was hurt. Um, anyways, so he goes and he accepts this betrothal because he says he deserved it. It was his fault and his fault that he is his father's only sole heir. So that's a little foreshadowing to Roman's kind of history. 
So Winnow that night wrote asking about Dacker and Enva. And Roman has some books on it and wrote what he found. And he says, I'm going to summarize it because it's very, very long. But Dacker is an underling. So he's god of vitality and it's healing. kind of like our Hades and Persephone story. Yeah. But he's, so he's the, he has the power of vitality and healing and he wanted a challenge. He was bored of like the mundane everything because they are. They're immortal, so they, you know, he wanted a challenge. He was bored, and he wanted the most beloved Skyward Divine. So he searched for Enba. And finally, he found her, and he heard her beautiful voice. She can sing, and she's stunning, and he's stunned by her beauty. Oh, she asks him, why have your hounds and ethrals done this? Because he sent his hounds and ethrals loose to kind of find her, and they've killed so many people. And so she's like, why have they done this? Why have you killed so many? And he says, I did it to find you. And he says, come with me. And she declines him. So. As she should. Right. Like. <laughs> Killing all these people just to get to me. I'd be like, are you crazy? Right. So he made the innocent suffer again, trying to find her again. Mm-hmm. So Enva eventually agreed to go with him below. Mm-hmm. And she said, but I'll only go in with you if you allow me to sing whenever I want. Whenever I want. So he says. Did you mention done. that she like sings people's soul? Oh, yeah. To please. the afterlife. No, I didn't. Please explain. Oh, okay. <laughs> so she like goes to like the cemeteries and stuff and sings so that whoever just died, their souls can find the afterlife kind of thing. Yeah. And so if she's taken from the world, that's kind of stopped. So she's like, I need to be able to sing. Yeah. So when they, the souls come down, like she can guide them. It is very heavily feels like just Greek gods. Yeah, it does. It's just like... And they've been we, they've been asleep for years, right? Like 100 years or something like that, and then they've been awoken. Which we'll explain. Okay. But. Okay, so anyways, that's part of the story. That's what we learn at this point. Oh, we don't so, learn anything else. Okay. No, not okay. right now. But it's 2 a.m., and Roman's like, oh, I got to go to bed. I have to work at 6. I can get up at 6, so I got to go to sleep. But he stayed up all night doing that for her. Yeah. Yep. I know. Next day, Roman was late for the very first time, and Iris gets a paper and... S- uh, she's asked to type up an announcement that Roman's father gave them announcing his betrothal to Miss Eleanor. <laughs> and so she's like, oh. And also we should mention that her hair is all curly and she's beautiful. Somehow <laughs> <laughs> mom doing it. And she has this conversation with the co-worker who gave her like the assignment to do and she apologizes. She's like, I'm so sorry, Iris. And she's like, why are you sorry? Sorry. And she goes, well, he's getting married to someone else. She goes, why would I be sorry about that? Everybody and just knows. Every, she says, the editors have cast bets that you guys would end up together. Like when they would end <laughs> up together. And she's like, what? <laughs> and it's funny because she's thinking in her mind, she would always rearrange his desk to bug him because he's very organized, very OCD. Kind of his desk is very pristine. And she would always go and rearrange his things. But when he arrived that morning when he was late, he didn't respond or didn't react to her rearranging his things. So she thought it was kind of odd. And he's supposed to be writing this article about the war and stuff. And so she goes up to his desk and she notices that his he has a blank page, not able to concentrate. And she congratulates him. And when he turns around, he like just stares at her. And he notices her red lips and her curly hair. And he's like, what are you congratulating me on? And she goes, well, your dad wants this front and center. And he sees it. And he goes, oh, wonderful. So anyway, she's like, you're having a hard time writing about soldiers or something like that. And so she's like, why don't we go to lunch and I'll see if I can help you. I have a brother in at war. And so they go to get a sandwich and she pays for it. And he later on, we learned that he he felt terrible making her pay for it. But he didn't want her 
anybody to presume that they had a thing going on or anything yeah. thing like that. But she's he knows she's, like, poor, and he felt awful. Yeah, he doesn't want to, like, pity her either. Yeah, so he doesn't pay for it. But anyways, so while they're eating sandwiches at this park bench, he talks about how he's not excited about this engagement. And they really get vulnerable here. This is the first time they really get open up to each other. And he apologizes to her for being so rude to her and saying at the beginning how she dropped out of school and how he thinks that makes her lesser than and like all these things. So he doesn't apologize and make no assumptions about her. And he does say that she deserves to be there and win columnist if she earns it. So they get, and he, he's not excited about being engaged because she asked him, are you excited? He goes, no, I, I'm not. He's like, do you think two people, could, two strangers could fall in love? And they talk about that a little bit. But he pretty much tells her that he doesn't want to be engaged. He's just doing it for his father. Well, as he asks her, he's she's like looking at his notes about the article about the soldiers and the war and things like that. She goes, this is, has no feeling. You know, you're missing out all these key components. So he gets out his notes. He's like, do you mind if I interview you? And so this is something that she says about what it feels like to have someone you love at I war. Love this part. Oh, so good. this is I highlighted it because I was like. Wow. So she says, it feels like wearing shoes that are too small. With every step you notice it, it feels like blisters on your heels. It feels like a lump of ice in your chest that never melts. And you can only sleep a few hours at a time because you're always wondering where they are. And those worries seep into your dreams. If they're alive or wounded or sick, some days you wish that you could take their place no matter the cost. Just you can have the peace of knowing their fate. That night when she's home, she gets a letter from this mystery stranger person, she doesn't know who it is, and we know it's Roman. He sent her a letter asking if she feels like she wears armor day after day and asking if, like, they feel like they're a fake or they're wearing a facade, that they don't get to be who they really are. And she responds with saying that it's just, it begins with one person, you trust them, and then you you take off one piece of your armor for them, which is a cute little thing they kind of have throughout. That's a cute theme for the rest of the story. Iris's mom is also gone. It's important to note this. So she decided to go to bed. She's like, she's probably just out drinking somewhere. She goes to bed. The next day she goes to work and everybody, the article has been posted. So everybody's congratulating Kit because they now know that he's engaged. And she watches him as he's being congratulated. And he seems like so, you know, he's always very calm on the outside, very put together. And he's taking this, I don't know, all this attention. He's just like, acting as though he is excited, you know. And then this is in her perspective. This is from Iris's point of view. So the fuss was dying down at last. Roman dropped his messenger bag, but then he must have felt her stare. His gaze lifted and found her on the other side of the room over the sea of desks and paper and conversations. For a breath, Iris couldn't move, and whatever mask he had been wearing for everyone else, the smile and the merry eyes and the flushed cheeks faded until she saw how exhausted and sad he was. It struck a chord within her, music that she could feel deep in her bones, and she broke their stare first. So anyways, so later, one of the co-workers brought a piece of paper for from the constable that needed to be put in the paper because it says, quote, a woman was hit and killed by a tram last night. She's in her mid-40s. She has light brown hair, etc., etc. Iris grabbed her bag, left her coat there, and just left. And she went to the police station because her mom never came home. And she knew in her gut that that description matched her mom. So she went to the police station and she went and identified that it was her mom. Her mom died. I really sobbed because I didn't know. I didn't see it coming it, at all. Yeah, it shocked me for it sure. It shocked me. I was like, holy crap. I was, and it was just like, I love how it was written because I was like, I feel like that's very accurate to a way like a lot of, you find out a lot of people die. Mm. It's just like it hits you so fast and like all you can do is like 
you know. The way she writes these emotions are just so spot on and so well and so deep that it just hits when you read it. It's so beautiful how she does it. But, oh, okay. So... She went, she got a box of her mom's uh, belongings and, um, from the police station, and then she goes home, and she falls asleep in her mom's bed. She woke up the next morning to pounding, knocking, <laughs> and hears Roman's voice. Okay, this scene, I can't, there's so many emotions, there's so many emotions, because you know Roman is panicked for her, and you know, you can see from his point of view how he's beginning to feel for her. And you know how she feels embarrassed and doesn't really know. She has also those feelings for him, but she's still not, like, open to it yet. So she has those feelings. She's embarrassed because of what he he sees. She's in so much grief. There's so many emotions in this moment. I was just so tense reading this. (laughs) So he comes to her apartment and knocks on the door and... She's looking through the people and she watches Roman realize like the door's unlocked. So he opens it and she has to step back and he looks and he stares at her and her blouse is unbuttoned like all the way almost to her navel and she didn't realize it. So, so that's another added like emotion onto this whole yeah. thing. Like there was so much happening. I was like holding my breath reading this. <laughs> I don't know how you could not have felt that way, Shannon. <laughs> no, it was, it was really intense and I, it was really intense and I was just like, I was hoping it was going to be him, and then when it was him, I was like, <laughs> I know. And, like, I wanted him to stay and stuff, but I was like, no, he wouldn't stay. Because like, it was so it's, cute. it's interesting because he is playing two different roles. Like, he yeah. is opening up, being vulnerable mm-hmm. with her in the letters, but playing the enemy. Yeah. And so he still has to play, hold this facade. Anyway, so this is, I quoted this. I quoted so much of this because I couldn't just say it with my own words. It's not good enough. <laughs> so I quoted this in here. It says, Iris froze as his eyes raced over her. For a split second, she was so relieved to see him. She was so relieved to see him, Shannon. Yeah. That she could have wept. But then she realized two horrible things. The first was that her blouse was gaping open, the buttons <laughs> undone halfway to her navel. She glanced down and saw the white lace of her bra, which Roman no doubt had also noticed by now. And she gasped, holding the fabric closed with a trembling hand. And he says, oh, I hope I'm not interrupting anything, Roman said in a very strange voice. It took another two seconds for Iris to infer that he thought she had been with someone and she blanched. No, I'm home alone. And he says, Winnow taking the step closer as if he felt the tug of her movements. You're all right? She said, I'm fine, Kit, she said, surprised at how rough-hewn her voice was, as if she hadn't spoken in years. What are you doing here? We were all very concerned, he replied. You left work early yesterday, and you didn't show this morning. Is everything okay? She says, yes, sorry, I'm sorry for leaving early yesterday, she said. I felt ill, and I overslept. Do you need me to send for a doctor? No, she cleared her throat. No, but thank you. I'm on the mend. Tell Autry I'll be the first, I'll be in first thing tomorrow. He says, can I get you anything else? Are you hungry? Should I, f- should I fetch a sandwich or soup or whatever you'd like? And she gaped for a second. No, no, I don't need anything. You can go now, Kit. Of course, I'll leave as you want. I brought your coat, by the way. All right, so anyway, so that's how that conversation went. So she takes that day off, she stays home. And it was interesting to me. I thought she was going to say, "My, I'm sorry, my mom just died. But she doesn't say anything to him. Um, probably because she was still kind of in shock, still trying to process it all, but... So that night she writes her stranger and she says, sometimes I'm afraid to love other people. Everyone I care about eventually leaves me. In response to that, he shares what happened to his own sister. So what has happened was he, one day when he was with his younger sister, her name was Del, and he lost his, he lost his sister 
because he t- he snuck out with her when they weren't supposed to and they went to like this pond that's on their property and they went swimming and he ended up laying on the side and fell asleep and he woke up seeing her face down floating in the water so she like drowned and he fell asleep the whole time and so he he carried her and raced her back and she was she was gone so he feels guilty that his sister died like it was all his fault which is why he will take on the pressure of whatever his parents want because he knows he caused them pain and he also has his own pain um so he responds to iris's note and he says but time will slowly heal you as it's doing for me there are good days and there are difficult days your grief will never fully fade it will always be with you a shadow you carry in your soul but it will become fainter as your life becomes brighter you will learn to live outside of it again as impossible as that may sound others who share your pain will also help you heal because you are not alone not in your fear or your grief or your hopes or your dreams you are not alone so Dude. one thing I love about this and why it works so well is because they're both writers. Yeah. So you get to see this really intimate, almost romantic style of writing from Roman because he's a writer. And so I think it plays so beautifully and it sets the tone in such a way in the story that you can't, you couldn't have gotten otherwise if he wasn't. Anyways, so the, at work the next day, Roman asked her why she didn't t- tell anybody she was sick like he's almost upset about it he's like you know we were all worried <laughs> that you didn't <laughs> Which t- just means him and he yeah <laughs> and he's like you didn't tell anybody that where you went so she's like whatever she's there at work everybody just thinks she's sick and then she, because she does the obituary she writes her mother's obituary and she just adds them to the rest of the stack that would be so hard honestly to write your mother's obituary uh-huh. yeah I don't want to talk about it, Shannon. <laughs> so then the next day, Autry, their boss, calls her into the office and Roman is already sitting. I, I've skipped quite a bit, just yeah, so you know, good. but Roman is already sitting in there. So Autry gave him the position of the columnist because he's like, he's always on time. He turns in his work and, you know, all these yeah, other reasons. He's been like perfect the whole time. Mm-hmm. She's been kind of lacking. Yeah, and he did give her a chance. He's like, you know, you got this yeah. position because you are a very skilled writer. I want you to do these he wants, he wants to, her to do good. He wants her to do well, but he needs someone dependent and reliable. So he explains that, and then Roman clears his throat, and he's like, okay, can you please not make this decision now? Can you please extend this? Give her more time, because he's had an unfair advantage. And he's like, why? Roman says, Iris's mom passed away. And she looks at him like, how did you know? And she realizes he's been, he's been reading her obituaries. He's been reading her work. She didn't know that. But the boss won't change his mind. And so she's like, you know what? It's fine. She quits. And <laughs> she congratulates Roman, shakes his hand, and she grabs her things and she leaves. And let me read this. She sees Roman standing at the door uh, to exit the building. And she says, how kind of you to get the door for me on my way out? And he says, I don't think you should go like this, widow. He whispers, no, Kit. How then should I go? You should stay. Please move, Kit. Don't go, Iris, he says. <sighs> And she says, best of luck to you, Kit. And then she leaves. <laughs> and I love that part because that's the first time he calls her Iris. And yes. By her last name. Yes. <gasps> oh, he, you could, you just, know. He's you just, just like, please. He's like, and it's he's like, torn too because he's betrothed to someone else. So he's trying to live that life. But also he wants her so bad. I feel like. But can't do anything about it. I feel like this, not, she, I don't think he's quite in love with her yet. But I think he sees her as like his last lifeline. Right. Yeah. Like, it's his he's own the only thing that being at work. He like feels something for. Yeah, and it's like this. Yeah, their relationship is just 
between him and her and like there's nothing else involved so when she leaves he's kind of faced with the reality like this is his life and if like he yeah. doesn't like it he needs to do something yeah about she it. yeah so she was like the last thing that he liked in yeah. his life he could kind really. of ignore everything else and focus on her yeah and then when she's gone he's like holy crap that was yeah. eye-opening for him yeah yeah and i think that spurs the rest of it so she has a plan she is going to go to the Britain Tribune. So she's going to go because it pays double and she has no one left. Her and mom died. She doesn't know where her brother is. And she goes, this will put me closer to the war front and I can search for my brother and I get paid it doing it. As soon as they said it, I said, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there so, she goes. There she's going. Okay. <laughs> so this is crazy. This is when the story I felt like dramatically turned. Yeah. I felt like this was a completely different story almost. Yeah. This, it still feels the same, but like so much is it's like different more adventure yeah and it was like used in it where am i going what's happening <laughs> here we go it was, <laughs> it was crazy <laughs> so anyway so she writes the stranger that night and she says she will no longer be able to write and so he responds and says may i ask where you're going i, I don't so she just leaves it she doesn't respond and then there's another note and she doesn't open it oh my gosh but the drama the drama because there's another note there and do we know at this point? I don't no. remember if we know at this point what it says. I think no. we do from his point of view. He just knows that he wants okay. to tell her. Okay, so he wants to tell her who the stranger has been this whole time. Mm-hmm. Okay, but then Iris's side, she doesn't like, open leaves it. Leaves the letter on the floor and she like closes her door and, and she just leaves. As far as we know, she's never coming back. So we're yeah. like, what is in that letter? Yeah, cliffhanger. Oh, okay. The cliffhangers in this. Yeah. Even from the ends of chapters to like the next chapter, yeah. it's like so well written. Anyways, so we're now in Roman's point of view, and he confronts his dad. And he says, I'm not going to marry her, and I have another solution for you that will still... Because his dad only worries about carrying carrying on his legacy and, and all the stuff. the status he has. And the status and marrying this lady, who's also a scientist. I forgot to mention that. She's a scientist, and they're also very wealthy. And uh, so he's like, this is going to carry us. And so they, he goes into a conversation talking about how... He, he's like, I need you to do this because... And he shows him a box, and he opens the box, and it looks like a bomb. And... Roman's like, what is that? Why do you have that? And he goes, well, it'll help us to be on Dacker's side of the war yeah. when the the war front comes into our our hometown. Factories are like making these things. So, I, but he Ms. says Eleanor's factory is making these things. She's the one who invented it. So he's yeah. thinking it's a bomb. She says it's not a bomb when they have dinner oh, together okay, later. Good. But so he's so he sees this glimpse into his dad and how he just wants to carry on the legacy. He's trying to get in good with Dacker, who started this war. And the dad's very controlling. He's having Roman followed. Yeah. He he's knows like, about Because he says, is this about that lowborn girl? Yeah, he's they saw spies. on the park bench. He says, you're, pre- jeopardi- you're, jeopardi- you're jeopardizing my plan to preserve our family. And he says her fiance will help them make, help her father's strategy, get Dacker on their side so they'll be protected when the, when the war eventually hits their city. Roman goes to his room. Is just losing it, really, at this point. He pulls out a box of all the letters he's kept from Iris. He's kept every single one, and he rereads them most nights. Like, he is all, just a sucker he for her. He really is. And he just doesn't realize it I yet. know. It's just Like, come on. Oh, my heart just gushes, guys. <laughs> Anyways, so Iris goes. She gets hired on with for the Ink Ridden Tribune as a war correspondent. She's given two jumpers. To wear. She, and it's impressed upon her very seriously. You must be wearing these at all times because it says Ink Ridden Tribune so that she they say that 
both sides of the war will know that they're neutral, that they're not part of the war, that they're just relaying the information. They're neutral not to be messed with. And so she has to be wearing those jumpers at all times. Also, the lady who hires her sees her typewriter and she goes, oh my gosh, is this an outlet? And she goes, yeah. And she tells her she, she didn't know at all the history with her typewriter. And she explains the history that it was, it was this girl, one of Nan's, her grandmother's friend, she became very sick with tuberculosis and she couldn't spend time with her friends anymore. So his dad went and had these magic typewriters created so that they could correspond with each other quickly. And so there's three of them. One of them is in a museum and the other two were never found. So she knows, well, I obviously have this typewriter and whoever I'm writing, the stranger has the other typewriter. And up until this point, we thought it was the wardrobe that was enchanted. No, it's the typewriter. It's the typewriter itself. So that was fun to learn. (laughs) So she gives her instructions where to go. She needs to go to this B&B to that's where she'll be housed while she's writing about the war and all this kind of stuff and everything that she's seeing. So she gets on the train and while she's on the train, she meets Addie, who's the other war correspondent. And then she gets to the Airbnb and she meets Marisol, who's the one in charge of the B&B. Marisol is married to Keegan, her wife. So, but her wife is a captain. Yeah. Or someone in the army. army. So she's gone. So she has been for like a year. She's been gone for a long time. So she's waiting for Keegan to come back. But while they're there, she's giving them the, the the rundown in the small, small, quaint little town, very quiet town. She says there are three sirens man stressful. oh my gosh okay. so this first siren she says if you hear it it goes on continuously through the night once it starts you have three minutes to turn off the lights cover all the windows and lock yourselves indoors before the hounds arrive so there's hounds that come out in the night and they'll just freaking eat you and then <laughs> so scary the second <laughs> siren it wails continuously throughout the day once it starts to go once it starts you have two minutes to take cover before the ethereals arrive I'm, i don't know if i'm saying ethereals are right but it's i don't know how you say it either it's e-i-t-h-r-a-l-s they're um, like birds they're big <laughs> they're like almost dragon scaly translucent yeah. creepy I, bat-like creatures yeah. almost but massive yeah. dacker uses them to carry bombs in their talons so she says, but they oh they they only drop them if they see movement. Mm-hmm. So she says, if you are outside, you must lay down and do not move, lie still. Because if they drop that bomb, it'll clear out the whole town. So you must make it inside or if you see them coming, lie still and do not move. The third siren, it'll wail intermittently at any time. And that means you need to evacuate to the east. <sighs> Okay, very stressful. So sirens. Okay, okay. So this story <laughs> is not only like gut wrenching and just poetic and beautiful and gets you to the core with all the feels. It adds the stress of war and it paints the picture so clearly that it feels real. Yeah. It's insane how she does it. Oh, it's crazy. So, anyways, the sirens come from a town that's nearby and they have a greater vantage point so, so like they can up on see. A hilltop. Yeah, so they are the ones who set the sirens because they can kind of see everything. Iris can't sleep that night and she writes her a letter. She's like, I'm just going to see, you know, if it works. Mm-hmm. She's surprised that it does. And so now Roman knows she's a war correspondent and he's like freaking out. And I like how she's like writing in all caps. Like he's, where are, what? You're where? 
<laughs> so she asks more about the myth and he gives her more information. The next day, Iris goes to the infirmary where all the soldiers are being like healed and worked on and who have been injured. She helps the soldiers and she wants to write about the articles, but she, but a lot of people don't want to talk about it. So she's like, well, no one wants to talk. That's fine. So she ends up playing cards and games with some of the soldiers while they're recovering, but then offers to write them letters home. So then she ends up just writing everybody letters home, which I think is so perfect that was yeah. such a great thing she also writes someone one of the people in the she find as she's talking to the soldiers she's find, trying to figure out where Forrest is and she's she finds out who she needs to write to so she writes them a letter to see if they know where Forrest ended up where he went she gets all these letters and she asks Roman if he'll mail them out for her she said she'd pay but he's like don't worry about it I'll, or I just it. her correspondent person not Roman oh yeah her stranger person yeah. <laughs> so what does she, she call him she calls him something doesn't she I don't know. It's like something with a C or Carver. But yeah. that's not yet. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't think sorry. it's yet. I guess I guess Oh, no, we... she does ask him, doesn't she? Well, cuz he does say my sister my sister called me Carver. Yes, yes. You okay, call sorry. me Carver. When he told her, I'm going to backtrack for Oh, real I quick. did. I thought it was after this. Okay, go. When he told her about his sister dying, he's like oh. my sister called me Carver, you can call me Carver. So she sends the letters and to, to Carver. Carver. Yeah, Carver who is Roman and she gives <laughs> him all the letters that she's wrote for the soldiers and he said he'll mail them out for her. Yeah. And it worked, which is amazing. Yeah. I thought it was cool that it sent it. Yeah. So Roman writes back with more information about the myth. So Enva, the goddess, she's saying uh, Dacker and all of his people to sleep. And days later, he woke up. I'm skipping stuff here, but I'm okay. just I'm going to the main stuff. So she's ready for war. Cause she's she escaped while they were while they were put to sleep with her music, mm-hmm. and she's ready for war. He comes out, and she, her arrow hit Dacker's shoulder, and he wanted revenge. So she snuck in later that night. So they've been fighting and stuff, and later she put with her harp. She made him sleep for a hundred years. So that's yeah. why they were asleep for a hundred years, but then he's been awoken and he's furious. And that's what this war is right now mm-hmm. of him trying to get back to her. I would not participate in this war. Like the goddess, God and goddesses yeah. have issues. You guys figure it out with your like, ma- magical honestly. powers. Like don't bring us people into it, which I, there has to be a reason why there has to be explained in book two. Like, Oh, this is a huge cliffhanger. So then so then what's that night and she's at the b&b the first siren sounds so they go inside they turn off all the lights they lock the doors close the windows all that stuff and they go into uh, marisol's room and she has a gun and she's like they shouldn't get in but if they do i need you to like open the door so i can shoot or something like that so they have a plan but they hide in locked and they wait the whole night she's like she says she couldn't sleep at all could you imagine and you could hear hear them them. Yeah. yeah hear them outside and stuff i love marisol and this she is such a bad a yeah she is through the whole thing yeah and she but she also cares so much about the girls like she's very she sweet and caring mm-hmm. kind of like an older sister or like mom yeah kind of thing she acts like she's older but she's not much older than say, them it's like an older sister kind of thing yeah but then she's also like really rough and tough because she she's in ready to fight war, yeah yeah you gotta be tough or you yeah you yeah. wouldn't make it yeah. but so i forgot to mention when that first siren sounds that night she was writing roman a letter and she had to cut off and she's like i'm sorry i gotta go and it's like there's misspellings and he knew right away something was wrong so he's like freaking out yeah and so he couldn't sleep either so he goes down into the kitchen to get a midnight snack because he couldn't sleep and his grandmother is there and i love his grandmother so she pretty much talks about how like his father is so uppity and 
snooty Mm -hmm. that he's like the worst (laughs) (laughs) so she's talking about him and how he's so controlling and trying to control his life and she says there is always a choice are you going to let your father write your story or will you and so she's encouraging him to go chase after her and to write his own story so then we jump into iris's point of view and i was like let's go into heaven after that anyways after we knew that she said that so she gets a letter back about her brother from someone in the military and he says where he's stationed and who who he was last stationed to and who she, she should write to so she writes to them and she's been writing articles for the ink tribune press and she's been sending those back so she convinced or she talks to she talks to Addie and she talks about how she's loving, falling in love with a stranger. And I guess maybe this is where he tells her, this, his sister used to call him Carver. So maybe he doesn't tell her his name Carver earlier on. Maybe I was incorrect about that because here in the notes it says here at this point. But either way, we know that it's yeah. Carver because that's what his sister called him. So Roman regrets not being honest with her and he wants her to know that it's him. Oh, I guess this is just at this point when he tells it, tells his name to her that it's carver he also feels guilty that he regrets not being honest so he wants he does really want her to know at this point like he's ready to tell her anyways he goes iris helps the wounded soldiers a captain arrives at the infirmary and he says i have room to take one of you writers correspondence to the warfront so Addie ends up going Back into Roman's point of view, he goes to lunch with his fiance, and she confirms that the bombs are not bombs. They're not what he thinks they are. And we actually find out what they are later. Fast forward, Roman buys the Ink Tribune Press newspaper and sees that it's written by ink-ridden Iris. And he says he is so dang proud of her, but with a D word. So that is, there's a little bit of language in there. <laughs> but anyways, he's ready to... Glad you wrote that down. <laughs> <laughs> he's ready to write his own story. So... Addie comes back from the war front. Time is passing, just FYI. She's not ready to talk about it. Okay, Roman writes to Iris and says, so Carver, I guess, I should say, writes to Iris and says he won't be able to write for a while. And that's where it's left off. Iris and Addie are doing gardening when the second siren sounds. They go inside to cover all the windows. And when she's covering her window in her bedroom, she sees someone walking in the open fields. And so she runs to Addie's room. She steals her binoculars, goes back into her room, and she's looking at this person. And it's someone wearing a jumpsuit from the ink-ridden Tribune. And she looks more closely, and it's freaking Roman walking through the field. I gasped when I saw this part. But the siren is going off, so they only have two minutes, and Roman doesn't know what to do or what the siren even means. And so he's just walking. So she freaking takes off. And Addie's like, wait, stop. Where are you going? It is so intense, you guys. It is so intense. And also one of the most captivating moments in the story. It's my favorite moment in the book. Oh, so. Oh, I guess. Okay, I got to just explain it. So she is running to him as fast as she can. And as they're getting closer, he sees that it's her. And he's like, (gasps) shocked. But he also sees her expression. So he gets worried. So he drops his things down and he runs to her. And as soon as they get to each other, she slams into him and pushes him down on the ground. And she lays on top of him. And she says, oh, I got to get it. What does she say? He's like, Winnow? Winnow is happening. And she says, don't move, Kit. Don't speak. Don't move. And she's like ripping onto his, his 
suit and she's closing her eyes and he's like holding onto her but she knows as soon as he can see the ethereals in the sky because it got really really cold you can hear them the wind is kind of coming in and his hands tighten around her so she's like she knows that he can see them but he doesn't move and so he eventually focuses on her to kind of help calm himself so when she opens his eyes they're like staring at each other but then at the end when they've passed and it's warm again she sits up and she goes what the h are you doing here kit have you lost your mind if she wasn't so exhausted and stiff from her from the harrowing encounter they had miraculous <laughs> had miraculously survived she would have knocked away his touch she would have slapped him she might have kissed him <laughs> he only smiled as if he read her mind and said it's good to see you too winnow ah! <laughs> so good it's so good i just love he's so smug but you know the depths of his emotion on also when he's writing to her it's just such a great combination i can't stand it <laughs> so while he's there she brings him back to the bnb and we find out that he broke off the engagement and brought back a copy of each of the newspapers that they have written from the ink tribune press so he brought a copy of addie's writing an uh, article on the cover and then also Iris's art article on the cover so they could read it, which was so thoughtful. And Marisol gets there and she explains everything to him and she explains the sirens and all the rules and everything like that. So he also picks a room for, for him to settle down to. And of course he picks the one right next to hers. And that next night, I'm skipping here, but the next night he invites her to go running with him in the morning. And they go running together in the morning. And she doesn't run at all. So she's totally out of breath. And he's like in shape. He runs because he helps him clear his mind. He really enjoys it. So that's why he has like a really lithe body. So they're sitting there at night in the rooms writing each other. And she still doesn't know that she's writing Roman, who is also Carver. And the next day, Addie and Iris are gardening. Roman throws down a letter. He's in his room and he's has the window open. He throws down a letter down to them gardening. And in the paper, it says... What's another word for sublime? Addie says transcendent and Iris says divine. And then that's important to note because that comes into play later. But Marisol comes in and kind of calls all of them together. And she says the captain is here. And the captain is there because he's there to bring one of them to the war front. And Iris says, well, it's my turn. Addie went last time. I'll go. And I love it because Roman's like, panicking he's like what no anyways he's the captain if she goes i would like to go with her sir and the captain says i said i only have one seat in the lorry then i'll ride on the side step sir roman said kit iris hissed at him i don't want you to go without me winnow i'll be perfectly fine you stay here and i'm going with you he insisted will that be acceptable captain the captain sighed tossing up his hand the two of you go pack you have five minutes to meet me out out front by the lorry Roman turned and hurried up the stairs. That was when it hit him. He had just sent Iris a very important letter. And it was an immensely bad moment for her to read it. He was wondering whether he had enough time to sneak into her room and sweep it up off the floor when he heard her pursuing him. Kit, she called. Kit, why are you doing this? So when he threw down the letter to them while they were gardening and asked for different word suggestions, he was using that to say something very, very big in this letter. We don't know what it is. But he sent it to her, and now they're leaving, and he's like, oh, this timing is the worst. But I do love this next part, because they start driving, and they realize it's a really long drive, and she feels bad, because 
he's like hanging outside of the truck just sign, sign, holding on standing on the step and the road is very bumpy so when they do one of their stops she's like hey, you know what if you want to come and sit you can sit in here if you don't mind me sitting and then he's like yes i'll do it and then he comes in and she sits on his lap and they have a cute moment there i did like that part it was I, very I like that part but anyway, so they have days in the trenches and they're painting a picture of what the trenches are like and all this kind of stuff. And they're going like over the rules and what the daily life is like. While they're sitting there, they have to be really quiet at night and they just sit in the trenches and she's like sitting with her back against the wall and he's across from her. And she she pulls the letter that she found underneath her wardrobe that Roman wrote right before they left that said something really, really big. She put it in her her jumper right before they left and she pulled it out to read it. And Roman is kind of putting two and two together. So he's throwing paper at her with notes on it, trying to distract her because he doesn't want her to read it right now. Because he's like, this is it's the worst so funny. time. It is really funny. Cause <laughs> and she's like getting annoyed at him. She's like, oh my gosh, leave me alone. But she ends up putting the letter back. And because things get crazy and busy, she never reads it again for the rest of the time that they're there. So... As time goes on and they're just kind of going through the motions, we're in Roman's point of view and he's constantly thinking of Iris. He's just like so smitten, loves her so much and he's so ready to tell her, but it's just not the right time. So this is what, in his point of view, it says, that was what he was absently thinking about. His gratitude for the wind, Iris. His future articles, Iris. How much longer until sundown, Iris. When the blast came, rupturing the quiet blue skyed afternoon, the shells screeched in rapid fire, ear splitting, shaking the earth, Roman's heart shot into his throat and Iris fell off her stool, reflexively cowering on the ground. This was it. This is his absolute worst nightmare coming to life. He lunged across the distance, covering her with his body. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. So war starts to happen right on top of them, pretty much. And so he's pulling her like forward and she's in a haze and he's like trying to get them out of there. And the lieutenant orders them to go retreat, to get out of there. But she, she, as they're almost leaving, she turns around and she sees all these people bloody and wounded. She's like, I, we can't leave them like this. And so uh, while they're talking about it, a grenade lands right next to them. So as soon as he sees it, he grabs Iris, swings her around the corner because they're right of, at a corner in the trench, swings her around the corner to kind of protect her from the blast. And the blast goes off and it separates them. And he is bleeding. He got he gets injured on his leg. Iris starts to panic. And in Iris' point of view, she's like, no, 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 no. You cannot die. You cannot die. So she, we realize she also has feelings for him too. She has feelings kind of for two people. For him and then also for Carver. So it's kind of interesting. But yeah. she gets him to stand. She gets him to safety. And all the whole time, all he wants is to get for her to get his bag. Get my bag. Get my bag. And she goes, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like, you just need to get to safety. He's like, no, I need you to get the bag. Well, she gets him to safety and she stays to help carry soldiers back to get them to safety with one of the other soldiers. And while she's doing that, she sees his bag and she grabs it. Anyways, they get to the infirmary. <laughs> and he's like, get my bag, get my bag. And she's like, it doesn't matter. It legit doesn't matter. Oh, that's so funny. So they get to the infirmary. She finds Kit and he's asleep and he's had surgery. So she went home and she... Puts his bag down, and she finally reads his letter that he sent right before they left. So this is what he says in his letter. 
I've wanted to get it right for weeks now, but the truth is I didn't know how, and I'm worried what you might think. It's odd how quickly life can change, isn't it? How one little thing like typing a letter can open a door you never saw, a transcendent connection, a divine threshold. But if there's anything I should say in this moment, when my heart is beating wildly in my chest and I would beg you to come and tame it, is this. Your letters have been a light for me to follow. Your words, a sublime feast that fed me on days when I was starving. I love you, Iris, and I want you to see me. I want you to know me through the smoke and the firelight and kilometers that once dwelled between us. Do you see me? (laughs) And then he signs it C because he signs all of his letter just with C. (laughs) So anyways, so she's like, wait a second. She picks up on those words. She's like, there's transcendent, there's divine, and there's sublime all written here. She's like, what the heck so she goes to his bag because she's like also thinking he wanted her he couldn't leave without his bag she goes to the bag and she opens it it's all of her letters every single letter that she's ever written him he has them he's kept them with him and they're in his bag so she's like pissed (laughs) because she doesn't know what to think she's like i was falling in love with him and then he lied to me and so she goes to the infirmary and the next day he's like eating i can just picture him like eating his soup like sitting up in bed (laughs) so then she goes to him and i have to read this i just i just like i said i just can't say it right like she does it so well so she walks into his room and she stares at him and she says you Roman went silent for a beat. He drew a deep breath and whispered, me. Iris smiled, a shield for how mortified she was. She felt like laughing and crying, but she forced them both down. Her head began to ache. All this time, you're receiving my letters? Yes, Roman replied. I just, I can't believe this, Kit. Why? What's so hard to believe, Iris? All this time, it was you. She blinked away her tears and tossed one of the, let- one of the letters onto Roman's bed. It was satisfying to hear the paper crinkle, a distraction from her embarrassment. She dropped another page and then another. The letters fell onto his lap. Stop it, Iris, Roman said, gathering them as they drifted, as she carelessly, carelessly crinkled them. I understand why you're angry at me, but let me explain. How long have you known, she asked tersely. When did you know it was me? Roman paused, his jaw clenched. He continued to gently gather her letters. I love how he's gentle. She's like throwing him and he's like, no, like they're they're so important to him. Roman paused, his jaw clenched. He continued to gently gather her letters. I knew from the beginning, from the first letter you sent, he amended. You didn't mention your name, but you talked about your job at the Gazette, the columnist position. Iris froze in horror, listening to him. He had known all this time. He had known all this time. I honestly thought it was a prank at first, he rambled on, that you were doing it to get in my head until I read the other letters. Why didn't you say something to me, Kit? I wanted to, but I was worried you would stop writing. So you thought it best to play me for a fool? His eyes smoldered with offense. I never once played you for a fool, Iris, nor did I ever think that of you. You are humoring me then, she asked. She hated how her voice trembled. So then they continued to talk a little bit. And so she said, so she talks about the letters in this conversation. She goes, you lied to me. You lied to me about my old letters. You said you couldn't give them back. And he says... I don't think you can even begin to understand what your words mean to me. Even if they were addressed to Forrest in the beginning, you were a sister writing to her missing older brother. And I felt that pain as a brother who lost the only sibling he ever had. Oh, I just can't. The layers, Shannon. The layers of this story. So anyways, he says she starts to go away. And he's like, no, wait, Iris, stop. And so he's like pulling out all the, vi- the, the I- what are they called? Ivies. He's pulling out all the ivies in his arm and he's standing and he's like limping to get to her. And she stopped in the doorway and he says, I'm sorry if I hurt you, but this was never my intention. Why do you think I'm here? 
Oh, I love it because she's like, get back in bed, Kit. And he's like, don't run from me, Iris. Don't run from me. Not after what we've just lived through. Not waiting. Not without great, not without granting me one final request. What is this request then? She says, what is so important that you have to act like a fool and yank the needles from your vein? And he says, I never lied to you. You asked me this once months ago and I refuse to answer, but I want to, you to ask me it again, Iris. Ask me what my middle name, my middle name is. The C is for Carver. My name is Roman Carver Kit. And then he kisses her. <laughs> Such a good kiss too. Because then eventually he pulls her around and like puts her against the wall. And then a nurse comes in and clears her throat. And she's like, you're supposed to be in bed. Yeah, and yeah. Iris is like, it won't ever, it won't happen again. And Roman's face falls because he thinks that she's means that she's never going to kiss him again. Yeah. And so he's like, it doesn't mean anything to her. So anyways, so they, when they get back, <laughs> finally, I'm jumping forward. They're finally back at the house. Roma's finally back at the house and he's all mopey in his room. And Addie's like, why don't you go talk to him? Like, try to see if you can get him out. And she goes to talk to him. He's like, what do you want? Like, doesn't want to look at her and everything. He's like embarrassed, you know, because he loves her, admitted everything. And she didn't react the way he wanted her yeah. to. So she's like, why don't we go for a walk? And so they go for a walk and she kind of clears the air and saying, I just, I needed to process everything pretty much. Like, you know, I was falling in love with him and I was falling in love with you too. And then after hearing that, he's like, he pretty much like proposes to her and she's like, stop. And he, he gets down on his knee and he like breaks a stitch. So he starts bleeding. She goes, get up, stay here. I'm going to find somebody and come back and get you. It's cute because that night after they get home and stuff, they write a letter back and forth. They're in rooms next to each other and they're just secretly writing letters back and forth. I think it's so cute. It's like, it's, really it's like they're like texting, you know, <laughs> like passing notes in class. I know. It like. <laughs> it's so cute. And they joke about it too. They're like, is it weird that you're in the room right next to yeah, me? Yeah, yeah. So then, so then they're in the garden and he's there and he talks about he finally acknowledged he talked about like when he finally acknowledged his love for her and it was when they were writing and stuff like that and then when she left he panicked and he's just like i couldn't i i had that's when i decided to follow you like i didn't want the life my father planned for me i wanted you and then in the garden she says i have a request from you kit I want you to, she's like, I fell in love with both of you, but I want you to read the letter so I can bring the two of you together. So she ha has him read the letters he wrote to her out loud. And so he reads it out loud. He mm -hmm. says, he's, this is the part that he reads. Your letters have been a light for me to follow. Your words, a sublime feast that fed me on days, days when I was starving. I love you, Iris. And then she goes and she like sits on his lap and he says, okay. He says, marry me, Iris Elizabeth Winnow, Roman whispered, drawing back to look at her. I want to spend all my days and all my nights with you. Marry me. They both agree to it. And for the rest of the day, they get their typewriters and they go, they bring them down together and they write together. That's a cute scene. And then out of nowhere, oh, the third siren sounds right after they want to get married. This the drama of okay, this moment. I... I don't know why I was surprised that all three sirens would sound in this book. Yeah, me too. Because, like, obviously they just said all three of them. But for some reason, it. I wasn't expecting all three of them to happen. But they didn't. I, it, uh, ah, it's so good. So anyways, the third siren sounds. So they just kind of, like, freak out. And then Keegan burst in. So more Mar Marisol's wife comes in. And she's like, where are they? And she's like, the soldiers are coming into town. You guys need to leave. So they start barricading the town and everything. And they're getting people to evacuate. 
But Iris is thinking, my brother might be here. So she decides to stay. And Roman, of course, is like, I'm going to stay too. So throughout the day, yeah, throughout the day, she's run, Iris is running around helping them do things and get ready for what's going to happen. She comes back. She sees, she finds out that Roman's jumper has been stolen. And she's like, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, I come in. There's boot prints on the ground. And then my drum, I'm missing a jumper. But he showered. And she's like, you showered? Why did you shower? And then... Marisol tells Addie, she's like, why don't you go help Iris get get ready or whatever. She's like, what are you talking about? What's going on? So she gets up there. She's like, go get showered, get dressed. She goes, why are you making me shower? And then she comes out and, she, and she's like, does she put like flowers or something in her hair or something uh, like that? And she goes, he asked me for permission to get married to you and he's downstairs waiting so they set up like this surprise wedding uh-huh. in the garden in the backyard oh. and then they so she goes downstairs and Carver's standing out there the sun is setting keegan is the officiator and they exchange vows it's beautiful you guys need to read it it's so good <laughs> so as the night happens they cook this big feast and they have all the soldiers coming and they're like celebrating having a party almost that it was their wedding night and they're like it's this is a good thing because it's one happy thing before right. we don't know what's Everybody gonna happen wants it to happen they're yeah. like we don't she's like I, we can't have a wedding right now we're about to go to the war and they're like no everybody kind of needs this yeah everybody needs this and i love how roman's like we don't know and i love this because they do say like we don't know how much time we have together let's just take advantage of this time that we have yeah it's so beautiful so they get married and the wedding night happens and in the morning iris wakes up and it's cold very cold and she's like something's not right so she goes and looks out the window they both get dressed and ethereals have been spotted coming into town but there hasn't been an alarm because the town that would set off the alarms the sirens has been attacked already so they have no warnings now and anyways those are coming so the bomb lands and it shakes the house. Chaos ensues. And Addie's trying to get Marisol to get her to the lorry to get them out to evacuate. Roman and Iris are trying to get there as well. They're trying to evacuate too, but they get separated. And they're in the streets. A soldier is kind of losing his mind. And they see the ethereals coming. And this soldier's like, like, Gosh. he's like crawling into the street. trying. He's like, mom, like trying to get to his mom or something. Like literally losing, losing his mind. It, like has a psychiatric break, basically. Yeah. And she's like, no, hold still, hold still. Well, the ethereals see them and they drop it. And this time it's not a bomb, it's gas. Yeah. And so this green gas starts to filter out. She can't breathe. Her eyes are watering. So she's running away. She has no idea where Roman is. She's trying to get out of the gas to breathe. So then Roman comes in his jumper and he's wearing a gas mask and he gives her yeah. a gas mask. He's like, here, put this on. And she's like, where did you find a gas mask? And they put it on and she's, he's like, here, this way, this way. And she's noticing some things are off. She's like, this is weird. Later as a running, she goes, wait, he's not limping yeah. at all. Yeah. And they're running, they're running, they're running, getting out of the gas. And then she realizes it's not, it is not Roman. This stranger is pulling her through. They're getting out of town and getting to the edge where the forest is to like run away and this big open field big open fields getting to the edge of the forest and she finally pulls back and she's like like who are you and yeah. he and he's, she's like fighting him he's like trying to carry her out she's like fighting him fighting him and he's like stop little flower stop it's forest oh my god i did not see this coming i didn't see it coming either so he's pulling on her stop we gotta go we gotta go we gotta go we have no time and she sees roman he's limping to her <laughs> out in the white meadow and she's like no and and forrest is pulling on her oh. like no we gotta go she goes no he's my husband he's my husband and then he's like we don't have time we don't have time they're not even that far from each other and then she sees him sink into the ground 
and he can't breathe and he has blood coming out from his mouth dripping down his chin and, and the green and the green fog, fog is, is rolling up and he's not getting up and, and he pulls her away and then he pulls her away and the green fog's like swallows him whole and at the end of a chapter <laughs> I, <laughs> I swear so then while while he's taking her away he like there's some weird things that are happening and she's noticing that it's very strange but he as they're running away he explains to her that he was taken by Dacker, Dacker. He was healed by Dacker, but taking onto his side as a soldier. So he's taking the wounded. Okay, well, we learn a little bit more about that later, but he took him, healed him in exchange for him to be one of his soldiers. Yeah, and so he has no choice. He has no choice. It was either that or die, because he was dying. Yeah. So he's stealing um, Iris away. They get back into the city, back into their hometown. And once they get into the hometown, Forrest... But then... She goes into her, her old room and she finds a letter and it says, Iris, Iris, it's me, Kit. And that's how the book ends. And then we go to the epilogue and it's Dacker's point of view. Yeah. And it's fascinating because he's walking through. His soldiers are like celebrating in the background. He's walking through and he sees Kit on the ground or this man. Yeah. And he's like, I he can tell if they're... Willing to fight. Like, yeah. if they are if they have the determination inside of them, and he can read it that he has, even though he is dying and bleeding and barely holding on by a thread, he's still crawling towards the forest. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't. And so, so he's like, yes, we'll take him. And so then a circle appears around him, and he gets swallowed by the earth and disappears. And that's how the book ends. Oh, my gosh. Can you can, can you even? I can't <laughs> even. It's like the biggest cliffhanger. The cliffiest oh cliffhanger. The cliffiest cliffhanger. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So good. Oh. Yeah. I, it's so funny because people I describe can't. this book as like a cozy yeah like there's too many emotions for this to be cozy are you kidding me they do they like a cozy like fantasy romance kind of thing just because of the way the writing is because it's so poetic and stuff that it's like yes you're going through all these hard emotions and like it's a very intense storyline and stuff but it's still so cozy and cute that it's just like i can't uh, i can't cozy is not a word i would ever use for this book for me because i'm just the stress the stress I feel reading this book is just <laughs> way too high. Way too high for it to be cozy. I just I just honestly don't understand why you don't like this as much as I do. <laughs> no, I do like it. It's just like people were describing this and like comparing it to like Fourth Wing and stuff like that. And oh, to like, me it's no. way better than Fourth Wing. Really? Yes, because no, not to me at all. the the connection, the emotional connection is not there like it is in this book. Well, yeah, not in the Fourth romance, Wing. but I just like the story better in Fourth oh, Wing. Oh, well. I, the story I was like, eh. <laughs> the romance, yes, so cute and sweet in this book. The war, and though, like I felt like I was in freaking war with how she wrote this, and like this, I, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't argue with you, Shannon. So take that with the grain of salt. Oh, okay, all right, let's let's vote now. See who's right. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> all right, let's start with the plot. You just said, yeah, it's like a it's like a four to five. Okay, I would say it's a five out of five just because there's so many twists and turns that I just did not see coming at all. And it was so intense and there's so many things woven through throughout that are just placed so beautifully. The pacing was great. I don't know. I just, I loved it. Five out of five for me. Romance, I would say 
Five out of five. It's so beautiful. Yeah, I'd say a five out of five for the romance. It is so sweet and just so heartwarming. Oh, so, so written so well. Oh, the love, and the, the love like they have the for each other. Oh, yeah, I love how it's like through the letters and Iris is like in love through the letters, and then Roman's in love in real life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then it comes together just beautifully. Yeah. Yeah, okay. that's why it's so compelling is because of the romance. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's just so, just... Yeah. And then the ending, five out of five. Yeah. It ended really it, it, well. Such a cliffhanger. I hate cliffhangers. Yeah. But I have to read, I have to read book two. Like, I cannot... I was devastated. This book doesn't come out until... Oh, my gosh, next month. Okay, I can, I can hold on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can survive. I, when I finished it, though, I was, like, devastated that it wasn't yeah. until later. I, I have to read book two. I have to read book two. I, I have to know what happens. I have theories. I don't want to spend more time on it in this episode just because it's already so long. But, yeah, I have theories on what's going to happen yeah. and how it's going to all we tie together. We can talk about it in our Facebook group. Yeah. So good, guys. I loved it. I, did I give my vote? Five out of five? Yeah. yeah. For the ending. It's so good. I just love it. You guys, go freaking read it. It's so beautiful. It's like all over TikTok and it stuff. Is. Like, for a good reason. It's so. so beautiful. I just can't even. <laughs> I'm just... Okay. Whew. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to Divine Rivals by Rebecca Ross. Don't forget to follow us at Worth the Read Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, and join our Facebook group and Goodreads to have more discussions about these books that we're reviewing. And next time, we'll see you when we share The Scarlet Princess by Elle Madison and Robin Mall. And you can decide if it's worth the read. Bye. Bye, Sarah.